I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturopedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturopedic.com. That's naturopedic.com. Welcome back to Parent Talk. We are going to join our listeners on an exciting new domain of interest today, and that is ADHD, which is an extremely powerful concept that seems to be holding sway over millions and millions of children across the U.S. I know a very few families who haven't encountered this concept, and so we're excited to delve into it today. I think what I'd like to do is start with the story of an eight-year-old girl I took care of who's having trouble finishing her homework, which turns out to be one of the most common symptoms of ADHD. Now, in this case, she does her homework after much prodding and arguing, but then she leaves in her backpack, and her grades are dropping because she's not getting credit for the work she's done. Her teacher says to you, her parents, you need to talk to your pediatrician and see what's wrong. And the teacher says, I see lots of kids like her, and they all turn out to have ADHD. So how do you do this? How do you approach going to your pediatrician? How do you sort this out? The first thing we recommend is simply that you set up an appointment. We recommend that you don't have this conversation over the phone with your child's doctor. If something's not right, it can be complicated to find out in this sort of situation just why it's not right, and you don't want to slide into a wrong conclusion by shortcutting the process. Second, when you meet, really concentrate on sharing what your actual experiences are with your daughter or child. What is she like? What was she like going way back, starting during pregnancy and as a baby and a young child? And in different places, at home, not just school, but at home and sports with groups and family, that sort of thing. So first, make sure you start approaching this as something worthy of your um, concentrated attention, if you will. And second, start with your observations. Don't start with diagnoses. And this is crucial. Everyone should approach this sort of story with this question. Why is my child struggling? Unfortunately, across the United States, the dominant question is not that question. Why is my child struggling? Most people come to their pediatrician with another question to ask their doctor, and that is, does my child have ADHD? So why do those two questions make such a difference? I just want to intervene and just say one thing about observations, because observations is something that I spend a lot of time talking to teachers about, how to do a proper observation. And what happens is that I would have teachers and parents, they'll say, she's angry at something and she can't control herself over something little. That's what they think is an observation. But a real observation that's going to be helpful to a diagnostician or to a teacher is when somebody got in front of Molly, she picked up a block and threw it across the room. That is a factual observation. You have to stay away from value words. Like she did a good job with putting away the blocks is not an ideal observation. A better way, and I hate to use my own value words by saying it's a better way, but a more appropriate way and something that's going to be more useful would be to say, Molly spent four and a half minutes putting all of the blocks away. Blocks were put in their proper places. There's a difference between that and just making value judgments or even describing how you think the child is feeling. You may be absolutely correct. The child was feeling angry or the child was feeling sad, but that isn't what's going to be helpful to a diagnostician. So I just wanted to throw that in because observation is something I think that's key for this process. I'm so glad you said that, Susan, because I think the distinction between observation and diagnosis is 
at the very, very, very heart and center of the incredible mess we've gotten into around the issue of ADHD. Because you'll recall in the story, the teacher did not observe that the child didn't turn in her homework. What she said was, I think your kid's got ADHD. That's right. So saying, I think your kid's got ADHD is making a diagnosis. It's not sharing an observation. And I can tell you as a doctor, I can't get to the right diagnosis if I skip the observation part. The devil's truly in the details. And if I don't hear the whole story, I'm going to miss key observations that point me in the right direction. And I'm just going to jump right to the end of the whole story, stamp the chart with ADHD and end the discussion. All right. So actually, an observation that teacher could make is when children come into our room, they take their homework papers and put them in the inbox on my desk. And she could observe when Molly comes into the classroom, she puts her backpack on the hook and comes to her seat. That's an observation. She could even say, I never observed her taking a paper out of her backpack and putting it in the inbox. Then you could say, well, if the homework was in there, that already gives you like at least a strategy, maybe not a diagnosis, but a strategy. But keep going. This is harder than it looks, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we all like to think we know what's going on, right? And so why not tell everyone what we know? Well, it turns out we're not always right. Observations are always true diagnoses are often wrong. Mm, Very good. If you stick to the observations, you're going to be on very solid ground. So why is this so confusing? Why is it so difficult? Why is it so complex? I think the reason is because of the very nature of what ADHD actually is. So let's talk about that. So ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And what it is, is a collection of symptoms that define this diagnosis. It's not a disease that can be diagnosed with an objective test, like a blood test or DNA analysis or an MRI. No such thing for ADHD. People have tried to find objective measures, but the reason they can't find them is because the state of having ADHD is not an objective disease. It's an observed set of symptoms. Strep, for example, is an infection defined by its presence in a throat culture. And high blood pressure is a condition defined by measuring blood pressure. But ADHD is not a disease. It's a syndrome. A syndrome is a set of symptoms. There's no measures for it. It's just a set of characteristic symptoms or behaviors. Symptoms are not caused by something else. So, for instance, if someone is in class and has a fever and falls asleep during class and isn't paying attention to the teacher, they have a symptom of ADHD, right? They're not paying attention to the teacher. But the cause is not ADHD. It's caused by the fever, so let's talk about how you get the diagnosis of ADHD, how that, how that diagnosis is actually made. So you need two things to be confident that someone has, or just as importantly, does not have ADHD. And those two things are the list of ADHD symptoms and the list of other causes for those same symptoms, if that makes sense. It does. Now, around the world, the one source that defines ADHD is called the DSM-5. This is the reference book that tells us how to diagnose all sorts of mental health issues. In this book, there are nine symptoms of inattention and there are nine symptoms under another category called hyperactivity impulsivity. There's 18 symptoms of ADHD, nine in one category, nine in the other. If you have six on one of those two categories, then you have ADHD except for one little detail, which is the real source of all the trouble. To be diagnosed with ADHD, you must have the symptoms, but you also have to have them begin before age 12. They have to occur in more than one place, so not only at school, not only at home. 
the troubles must be impairing. That is, you might have symptoms of inattention, but it's not really bothering you. And this is the thing we're really going to spend a little time on today. You can't explain these symptoms by a better explanation than ADHD, like the sort of silly example I used of a child having a fever. That's not so silly, but I have maybe a question that you might think was silly. Could you have three in one category and three in the other and add the six that way? Or do they have to be six under one category or the other? I believe you need six in at least one category. If you have six in the inattention category and not six in the other, then it's ADHD primarily inattentive. If you have six in the hyperactivity impulsivity category, but not six in the inattention category, then you have ADHD primarily hyperactive type. And if you have six or more in both, then you have ADHD combined type. And that's how it's structured. So I haven't come across a situation where you don't have enough symptoms to meet the threshold in either category. I see. So that would be an unlikely situation. And Mm -hmm. so what they used to call ADD would be if you had the six symptoms or more in the category of the attention deficit as opposed to the hyperactivity. Is that correct? Yeah. So you'll notice it's a little bit of a mix of things. You have a kid running around the classroom, knocking things down all day. So he's hyperactive, but I guess he doesn't have symptoms of inattention. So we call that kid hyperactive, right? Or you might have a kid who sits very quietly at the desk and she uh, doesn't run around, but she can't pay attention at all. So we call her inattentive. So people have tried to come up with one set of abbreviations that covers having either an attention or hyperactivity or both. You know, ADD was bandied about for a while, then AD slash HD. Oh, okay. That slash was, you know, maybe it's attention, maybe it's hyperactivity. And now we've settled on ADHD, but they all mean the same thing. Got it. And I think that's important for parents to know because these little, these letters, these acronyms get bandied about so much. I think it's not always clear what they even mean. So I'm really glad you asked that. And our goal here really is to reduce confusion. Right. Okay. So now let's talk about this last point. That last point was the symptoms can't be explained better by something else. So personally, I have seen many, many children diagnosed with ADHD by qualified mental health professionals who turned out they didn't have ADHD. They had the symptoms. The mental health professionals were correct. But on a closer look, we fairly easily found out that other causes explain the symptoms far better. In fact, this experience isn't just seen by me. So many pediatricians around the country have seen so many kids duly diagnosed with ADHD who turn out to have some other problem, like let's say dyslexia or an anxiety disorder or recent death in the family, that they published a policy paper that lists 49 other conditions that cause all the symptoms of ADHD and are commonly mistaken for ADHD. Each of these 49 conditions can cause all the symptoms on the ADHD list that we were talking about. And I was pleased to be one of the co-authors on that also. No, I'm glad you brought that up about like a death in the family because immediately what came to my mind was that when children have difficult um, environmental factors happening at home, maybe there's been a death or a separation, divorce, illness, even the birth of a sibling. That can really cause children to become inattentive or to become overexcited or hyperactive. And my question to you is, if someone came to the pediatrician, do you start by asking them what's going on in the home? I mean, is that a good place to start? It goes back to your initial point, Susan, which is why I really said it is foundational what you said. In every instance I've actually helped a family figure out what's really going on, it's always relied 100% on observations. So how do you get observations? I just ask families, tell me what you've seen. That's it. 
when I start my appointment with them, when they make the appointment, remember we said at the beginning, make an appointment with your pediatrician. The first thing I say is, tell me what you've seen. Tell me what your experiences with your child have been. And then they tell me about, you know, now. And then I ask, what were your experiences like before? I can't tell you how many times someone said, you know, my child was never this way until one year ago. And now they can't sit still. They're uh, not paying attention to their teacher and getting a lot of pressure to start my child in medications. And I can tell you, let's say there's a 13-year-old who suddenly comes up with these symptoms. Remember, you can't have ADHD if your symptoms started after age 12. So immediately I know it's not ADHD. And also ADHD really is a situation where you have these symptoms from no other cause. You're born with them. That's who you are. They don't just suddenly appear one day. So I use that story to illustrate hearing what parents tell you is just astoundingly invaluable to figure out what's actually happening here. So in this story, a uh, grandfather died a year ago and was a very dear part of the child's family, and they hadn't stopped grieving yet. So that obviously impacted his behavior at school. Yes. And this child was diagnosed with ADHD, prescribed medications, and it was just the wrong diagnosis, the wrong treatment. We helped the child process their grief. All the symptoms resolved over time, and any talk of ADHD vanished. That's amazing. I would love to think that all the pediatricians would be as sensitive to these nuances as you are. Well, the point of this policy paper, the American Pediatrics, was set a standard that all pediatricians follow this approach. So now the question is, why does ADHD happen? So because it's a syndrome, it's very hard to describe why this happens. But some patterns give us hints that there may be physical realities underlying these symptoms. The first is ADHD has always been more frequent in boys. It's not as dramatic as we once thought. It used to be thought only, only boys got. That's not true. And we've seen many girls have ADHD. And one of the difficulties with ADHD for uh, girls is that their symptoms are less hyperactive. They're more inattentive. They have quiet ADHD, and so they hide it well. And because they hide it well, they're not diagnosed as often. But even if you take that into account, boys would far outnumber girls, and they always will. So we don't know what it is. That doesn't stop us from guessing. Some people think boys have it more frequently because they have more testosterone, at least during embryonic life, if not uh, until puberty later. Does that push boys to be more active? Is it a cultural influence? Is it we expect boys to be roughhousing more than girls? Or is there something physical going on? Do male brains process information differently than female minds? You know, the men are from Mars and women are from Venus concept. Or is there a gene that has something to do with ADHD that's more common in boys and girls? I'm afraid our listeners will be disappointed to find out no one has any idea. We don't know the answer to any of these questions, only that boys are more likely to develop ADHD than girls. You mentioned before that you always take like a, a history about what the babies were like when they were infants or a pregnancy. Yeah. So have they done any studies? Do you see any correlation, let's say, between premature births or a traumatic birth experience or a baby that is particularly fussy or colicky? I mean, are there any sort of correlations or are those things, you don't see a cause and effect there? So once again, you've put your finger on a central fact around this whole thing. And that is, I don't think people appreciate just how delicate attention is. So it turns out our brains are designed not to pay attention to the exclusion of all other values. And you know, just think about uh, family in the, in the uh, prehistoric era, uh, 100,000 years ago when humanity was new on the scene, sort of, and there's a tiger in the brush behind you. The family that pays attention really well to what they're doing is going to have fewer children than the family who notices the tiger and doesn't get eaten. There's evolutionary pressure to have us notice things around us. Think about deer. 
deer never graze and forget about the, their surrounding world. They're always in a distracted state looking around. At its best, attention is sort of a delicate function, easily interrupted, that is. And we also know that if you do anything to anyone's brain, I mean just about anything that causes an injury, ADHD symptoms follow. So being born prematurely and getting sick enough to really stress your system is associated with cognitive changes in later development. ADHD is a big piece of that puzzle. Uh, if you're born you know, a few weeks early and you're not ill and there's no real stress on your system, that's not an issue. But if you're in the NICU for a long time on a ventilator, very ill, those kids are at much greater risk of ADHD. Kids who've had uh, other traumas are at greater risk of ADHD symptoms for sure. However you bother the brain, the symptoms of ADHD often follow. That's actually fascinating. And I am glad I asked that question because I was wondering if there was some sort of correlation. And apparently there is. And we don't want parents to be looking for something that isn't there. But that is obviously something that you discuss with parents when you talk about the pregnancy and the the baby's first few months of life, right? Absolutely. And I want to come back now to that eight-year-old who wasn't turning in her homework. And the teacher says, you know, I've seen a lot of kids who have trouble doing their homework and they all turn out to have ADHD. So I think you should go see your doctor. Now, teachers aren't allowed to make the diagnosis. So they rarely come to you and say, I'm going to diagnose your child with ADHD. Almost no teachers do that. But they say this sort of thing where I've seen other kids and they turned out to have ADHD. You should go to your pediatrician and ask them if your child's ADHD. And now we're going to come back to that first question. Yes, call your pediatrician, share your observations, but make sure you begin that process with this question in mind. Why is my child struggling? Not, does my child have ADHD? Now, hopefully this conversation today gives you some sense of why that is a big fork in the road. If you start with the question, why is my child struggling? You leave open consideration of other causes and what a difference that makes. Because I can tell you for a fact, if you don't consider other causes, you will get the diagnosis of ADHD, even if that's not the problem. Arthur, I'm a little disappointed to hear that, but I think it's an important thing that you just said, because I think that when that parents should not just accept the ADHD diagnosis, just point blank, they themselves have to do a little detective work and Uh, They also have to be a partner with the diagnostician, the pediatrician, or the mental health professional. They have to do those really good observations, the valid observations, and share personal histories. A lot of parents are reluctant to do that. But I think it's important for them to say, my husband lost his job. I lost my job. We were having a very difficult family time. Could this be impacting my child's behavior? You know, I mean, people don't want to share that kind of information, but you're talking to a professional, a person who's going to keep that private, and someone who can use that information to make a more reliable, valid diagnosis. Would you agree with that? Is that a true statement, do you think? Yeah, it is. Although I I think if you know each other, family and the doctor know and trust each other, that sort of information flows more easily. Another reason, you know, we talked earlier in other episodes of Parent Talk about how to choose a pediatrician. This is why it's important to choose one you trust. Right, absolutely, you're right. So about sharing uh, information like that. So what do you do? Once you've had this wonderful conversation full of observations, not diagnoses, how do you and your pediatrician figure out what's really driving these symptoms? The first thing is your pediatrician's going to try to determine are these symptoms of concern or normal variation of childhood. As you know from your work in preschool and some of our episodes from preschool have made this very clear, Just being a kid can really bother some not-so-great early child uh, care and education centers, and you might get complaints about your child about normal behavior. So the first question you want to sort out with your doctor is whether the observations rise to the level of concern, and then 
find out their cause. Now, in my own experience, if symptoms rose to the level of concern, I always sought help. So it wasn't me actually figuring this out. It's complicated in knowing whether it's a cognitive issue, an emotional issue, an injury issue. And so I always sought the help of a pediatric neuropsychologist. It's really the pediatric neuropsychologists who are set up to go beyond just a list of symptoms towards an examination of the causes. That may not be true in other areas of the country where a pediatric psychologist is positioned to do that. But parents, you will know if your pediatrician and their allied professionals are getting past those questionnaires that just ask you off and they have these 18 symptoms, you'll know because the person's going to be talking to your child and testing them for other issues like how well do they read and how anxious are they and do they have symptoms of depression and have there been any experiences recently that have been upsetting? Do they have any trouble with hearing? I won't go through the whole list of nearly 50 possible causes, but parents will know if people who are diagnosing their child are just sticking to symptom lists or going beyond that searching for the cause. So that's really the last point I want to make today is that with this understanding, if you approached it by asking, why is my child struggling? You should end with a comprehensive evaluation that looks at actual causes. I can't tell you how much I've learned about ADHD. Thank you for all of this amazing information. I hope our listeners take away some really critical points about this topic that I think touches, if it doesn't touch your family directly, it touches a family you know. Well, yeah. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for everyone for their attention. A very special treasure that we share with each other. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.